This is Charlotte Pierce. I'm the producer of Ready Row USA. We're uh, embarking on our 110th episode plus, and we have an exciting uh, episode centered around ocean rowing here with the, our guests four from home, the Atlantic Ocean Crossing that they re recently completed, and we'll be talking about that. But uh, at Ready Row USA, we've We've seen firsthand how rowing changes lives, and we're on a mission to connect and collaborate with the rowing community. So from trainers and ocean rowers to uh, masters of a certain age like myself and boathouses, we talk to vendors and artisans and uh, all sorts of folks in this wonderful sport. We love talking about rowing. And our themes this year are uh, inclusion and access and diversity and fit, fitness for life through rowing. So that those will be um, coming in. Most of our episodes will be you know, touching on those topics uh, in some way. So we love to have people chime in on our social media platforms or on our episodes on the website, which uh, Ryan is showing you now, um, readyrowusa.com. And nothing gives us a greater thrill than seeing that little notification dot on Instagram or Twitter. And we, we try and uh, get back to people. We, we uh, pay a personal attention to your questions and comments and episode suggestions. And we do a really good job taking care of our sponsors. So we would love to have people join us on the live, live stream or join the conversation on one of our past episodes. I'd like to acknowledge our sponsors and then we'll get into the the nitty gritty here. Um, the Wave Coastal and Offshore Rowing Magazine is, they just put out their 10th episode and Craig Chalk is the publisher of that. It's a great place to get information, resources and do networking. Uh, there's a great community around it. So um, please check it out and at thewaverowing.com. Our, ne our next sponsor is uh, Resolute and Sykes. Uh, Fabio Selvig is, represents both of those companies. He's down here in the Western, Eastern Mass. And thank you, Fabio, for sponsoring uh, kind of on a long-term basis. And another sponsor is Burnham Boat Slings. We love them, great company. They are in our uh, customer service hall of fame because they just, they're just outstanding. It's Customer service kind of built into the DNA of that company. I think a lot of people would agree with me. Uh, Good Inklings is my web designer. I love Laura. Could, I could not produce this show without her. Thank you, Laura. Uh, GoodInklings.com, excellent WordPress site um, designer. And now, do you want to flip back uh, to? I'll back off and do uh, banners, Ryan and Jason. Jason was a coach for Far From Home, and Ryan is a man about rowing. <laughs> well, I think you you were on our, our careers in rowing episode, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, you know, some people just figure out how to be dirtbags for life, and that's all right. <laughs> uh, I'm really right. excited to be here talking to this crew of four guys, pretty exceptional in a few ways, which we're going to get to go into. And our co-host tonight, Jason, is also a uh, rowing coach um, professionally. Um, that's how he and I have known each other over the last couple decades. And so I got to, luckily he called me up when this first started and it was because we were both rowing coaches and he had been approached by this crew that we're getting to talk to tonight. 
And so we're going to get to see a recap, not just of this crossing that they recently completed, but also of the a lot of the process and what goes into it. It gets said sometimes in ocean rowing that 95% of the work happens before you even leave land. And then do you guys also hear, wow, you must be so committed. You cross an entire ocean. Uh, the, the thing I always found funny about that is once you leave, after a couple hours, what else are you going to do? The easiest thing to do at that point is go ahead and finish the crossing and get out of the boat with everybody on the other side, right? But sure. anyhow, um, I'm just recalling as we have this conversation tonight, also my own crossing uh, 10 years ago on a very different type of boat. So it was contrasting wow. in a few ways. Um, one of them was that the boat I did it on was a big catamaran with a crew of 16. We didn't know each other very well. Um, some of us had never met at all until we arrived in Africa to put the boat together. And it was a hodgepodge of people who had been brought into the project in different ways. And um, yeah, so it was a totally different type of experience, but there's a book about that. If you're interested in it, that was Little Ship of Fools. Um, I'm not the author, I get nothing out of that, but it's a good read about ocean rowing, especially if you wanna read about some other type of ocean rowing. To that end, the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. Jason, give us a quick uh, rundown on what we're talking about here. So Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. Hey, everybody, I'm Jason Cottingham. Uh, and one thing I want to say first, Brian, it's hard to believe it's been literally almost two decades since we first met. Um, that's really hard to believe. But the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, uh, it's a race from La Gomera to Antigua. And you're in... And the guys, guys will be able to tell a lot more about this, but singles, doubles, triples, quads, um, and sculling. And so it's a uh, pretty grueling race. And I, it, it appears and seems like it's there are a lot of different ways of going about it, right? Some people are doing it for the journey. Some are doing it for the race. Some are raising money like our guys. And some a little bit of both or, or all of those things. So one thing that I want to touch on before we get started, right? So the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge also has a fundraiser on top of it or an, an awareness of one for the sea um right so can 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 one of you guys just tell us a little bit about one for the sea so so we hit on it i think uh talisker uh, whiskey atlantic challenge has done a ton for ocean rowing and just awareness in general so i want to make sure we we hit on that first just so we don't miss it what what is one for the sea paul there, you go, paul. Oh. Ah, there we go so the, the One for the Sea is actually a really uh, kind of dynamic program that they interlaced in, in the campaign. Uh, since everybody's going out on the ocean, they, they choose to select a few boats uh, in the fleet to actually be ambassadors to uh, campaign and highlight the sensitivity of protecting our oceans through conservation. Um, every, every year, they'll have a main theme or a main focus. Uh, this year, they were trying to really highlight the preservation of the kelp forest uh, down in, in South Africa, wow. uh, the depletion of it. And, and so it was us, um, it was Anna Victorious and then uh, Migalo. So we had three boats out of the fleet of 36 boats that were out there that were uh, sea ambassadors. And, and just to kind of end on our, our piece of it, we really um, interlaced, because we didn't want to move from our veteran mission so when we wrote our essay to try to persuade them why we wanted to be sea ambassadors, we, we kind of interweaved the, the veteran concept into it that the veteran community uses the ocean 
um, and even the waterways and the backwater, the intercoastal and all over lakes um, for mental strength and, and mental conditioning and mental awareness. Gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so your connection to the water is obviously pretty intense. And Paul, we'll get into a little bit later, but I think of any picture that I've seen of you, you're either in the water under the water or on top of the water somehow. Like all of your <laughs> pictures are pretty incredible. But um, <clears throat> so this is four from home. Uh, Paul is the are we are is it official skipper? Is that what is that what we're going with? Organizer? Cam shaking his head. Yeah. Yeah, he's our skipper. 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 Uh, yes, Hubs, sir. It seems like he's the the analytical navigator, the brains of the group. Um, <laughs> Bill's the, wrong. the the. <laughs> Bill's the strong, silent type, and Cam's the muscle, right? Like that's that's pretty much how we're how we're rolling through this. It's probably pretty close. Um, but one thing I like about you guys, um, and about Four from Home and your mission as a whole, was or is the relationship you guys have with your own community in Amelia Island, right? Your your island, and you, you had the shirts. Was it what it it takes an island across an ocean? Right. Exactly. And, and you guys absolutely adopted that and your community adopted that. And it was incredible to watch. What what sort of impact did that have on you guys in, in helping you get across the Atlantic? Well, I think uh, if I could start out, it was everything. I mean, it was it truly is what it says. I mean, it takes an island across an ocean and that island is everybody that supported us, whether they are from Fernandina, northeast Florida or America or anywhere around the world for that matter, because we had people from other countries as well. Um, but yeah, it's pretty surreal to sit here and talk about it after the fact and look back on it, because as it was building, it was always an ooh-ah moment every time somebody joined. But to sit back and look at the numbers and the people and the love that they shared and the support that they gave us, it's, it's, uh, it's not anything that I can truly wrap my mind around even at this point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where did the name for the boat come from? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll jump on that one. <laughs> well, there's four of us, four, F-O-U-R. But to be respectable rowers, you got to have a, a rowing reference in your name somewhere, right? Gotcha. And since none of us were actually rowers. Uh, we, <laughs> well, we you're put, rowers now. We are now, but we put it yeah, right up are. front. <laughs> we, we put it right up front. Let's just go with four from nice. home. Uh, it was a great play on words. And it, it turned out there's a couple of other teams that ended up this year that also had a four FOAR rep for tomorrow also rode this year. So we, they were just as clever as we were. Yeah. yeah. And so as part of the race, you had your team name and then you also had your boat, which became your home and your vessel and everything. And that was tagged in Amelia Island, Florida, where you guys are from. And what was it named? But courageous, courageous. Yeah, it was, that was yeah. that was given to it. It came with the boat, although it was a great name. It was a great fit. Um, you got you gifted know. a perfect boat. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 name, the name. I think the name fit fit the four individuals rowing it. Um, Very cool. It was also it was also used in in um, some sailing competition, right? The Ted Turner one. Yeah. Yeah. Ago. yeah. Help could probably highlight that a little bit better. Yeah, well, yeah, it was the name of the boat in the America's Cup when uh, Ted Turner won for two years. So that was a great tie-in too. But uh, the boat was actually constructed for a British reality TV show called "Don't Rock the Boat," which was from uh, 20, 2018. I <laughs> Very think. fitting. No, I'm not kidding. That they used it on a TV show. Uh, it had a red team and a blue team, and 
rowing was part of the challenge. It was, uh, it was an interesting show. To, you got to watch it on YouTube if you want to <laughs> see. But I actually sat through all five episodes to get because they never called it by its name. They just said blue boat, red boat, blue boat. And at the very end, in the, the Spice Girl in this beautiful English accent says, "Courageous, courageous. This is your teammate." And it was nice to it was nice to hear the boat name finally after uh, sitting through five episodes. So she came with that. <laughs> she came. Wow, you sat through all five of them. I did just to hear the name of the boat. It was fabulous. Uh, <laughs> nice, fun. Nice, nice. And Brian, let's 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 pull up that picture one more time of them rowing. And I got I got to make one comment here. That's oh, pretty yeah, good, there. Link. That's pretty good, Link. This is a training row when I was out there with them. You guys have probably rowed a half a dozen times at this point, maybe. I don't know, yeah. a dozen times. That's pretty good length, Ryan, right? I mean, yeah, it looks not, that, not that they used any of that length rowing in the ocean, bouncing around in the day. You get to a point where you're just kind of like in this hypnosis anyway, and you're you're doing well to stay awake and keep your body moving, right? Much yes. less uh, remembering anything Jason ever told you about rowing more efficiently <laughs> or effectively. But... Um, no, this looks good, you know, and so it's really fun that you guys got to learn how to do this motor movement, which isn't really simple. It, I think a lot of people who have been around the water assume that rowing is going to be easy to pick up. Like you learn to ride a bike, you're going to figure out how to row. But there's a little more to it than that. Before we get a little sidetracked, and Jason, I do want you to talk yeah. about how the training went, but... Um, the boat itself, because I think this is something a lot of our audience are going to be flat water rowers who already understand the rowing movement, but these boats are fully self-contained. So we are not talking about having somebody follow us and hand you food along the way or whatever. Um, you've got water makers, you've got your navigation equipment, you've got the power sources to run those, you've got your repair work and all of your food, any other supplies you might need. And as well as where you're staying at night is all aboard this this boat, which we've got a couple photos of here. And um, that's pretty cool. So they're uh, built in the UK, mostly a lot of them. But there's a photo here of the whole fleet. And this is just trying to draw the picture of what these guys just participated in is all the crazies in one place at one time. <laughs> and then, and then you go from there, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, was, I think you got to be, you got to be, well, you guys are a little crazy, but you got to be a little crazy to, to do this or driven, right. Or motivated. All right. So let's, let's talk a little bit about training. We'll, we'll get through this. So you guys came to campus. We taught you how to row, you know, that was, the majority of my part is, is getting in a boat and just making sure you're kind of making the right movement going. But what, what was your training regime actually like and how long did it start, right? You started 12, 14 months out, 18 months out. I forget what the actual date was. About but two and a half years out. Well, that far out, yeah. right? So, so, you know, 30 months out. Actual boat training, yeah. So what did, what did your weeks look like and how did it progress? And, and what was the focus? Well, my week was uh, Monday through Friday, go to work. Uh, Monday through Friday after work, go to gym, and then Saturday, Sunday, row. <laughs> that was that was my schedule in a nutshell every every week. There you go. Yeah, yeah. it transformed when we got the. It changed significantly when we got when we actually received the boat. I mean, prior leading up to the boat was was basically just general fitness and getting ourselves. I mean, we're getting four older guys in shape, you know, um, just 
general physical fitness and we had a cross train cross trainer um crossfit trainer that helped us out a lot um you obviously helped us out with with going down to ju and and getting on the skulls um just getting getting the basic fundamentals until we got the boat once we got the boat it really the focus was rowing on the boat getting as many hours as we could on the boat and then there was like five mandatory courses that talisker makes you do just a, a basic um, sea survival class uh navigation class um first aid at sea class help me out the, the other ones. Yeah. Uh, VHF radio operator. Yeah, the radio. You got to have a license. Yeah. So we had we had to complete those courses too in a in a certain time period, and then and it was just all just combined. But mostly was really getting time on the boat because we knew that the amount of time spent on on the boat would be crucial to our success. So you yeah. guys ate, breathed, slept this for three years, for sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah the Talisker requirement, uh, the Talisker requirement is 120 hours on the water, and I think we yeah, ended up, I, we ended up at around 350. Nice. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, yeah. it can only help, right? So absolutely. Well, yeah, we thought uh, obviously. So. <laughs> I want to pump Jason up here a little bit. Um, he didn't know me from Adam, and uh, I, I graduated from JU in 2018. I was a late comer to the college graduation, and uh, right. but. Um, this row thing didn't even exist. Uh, it wasn't really on my radar. And I had remembered JU had this row team and I literally Googled who's the row coach for JU. <laughs> and um, I, I found Jason and I tracked him down through the, uh, the, the, the phone directory there. And honestly, that first phone call, I almost cried at how interested he was and how, I'm bored. He was like, man, I can't believe this. Hell yeah, I'm in. Whatever you guys need. And I mean, like he had known us forever, like we were best friends. And um, yeah, I, I I can't believe how fortunate we were to, to find him and have him jump on board as eagerly as he did. So uh, thank him for that. And, and yeah, we that's what got the ball rolling for sure. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was out of out of the blue, really. <laughs> But I mean, you don't get calls every day for ocean rowing. Not usually, no. Um, <laughs> but it was. I felt for what you were doing. It means something. It matters, and there's a need. You know, to be honest, like I'm super honored that I got to be. I mean, a tiny part, but a part of what you guys are doing, and I think that's that was the cool. And I luckily was smart enough or i should say not dumb enough you know to 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 see far enough ahead that hey this is this is real these guys are real and this is going to be pretty cool so anyway let's it's not about me it's about you guys um so you get there you get to to la Gomera and your boat's not there <laughs> now it looks yeah. like there there's one thing about about this this slideshow like there are too many pictures to, to actually put up. It, but. but this is a great one, Jason, because if you look at this shot you have up, it's 20, 21, 22, and there's no 23, and then it goes to 24. <laughs> we were yeah, boat number 23. So we're not in that shot. I think why I put this shot up there, I didn't know you were 20. Well, I guess in the picture of Smug Mug, I knew you were 23, but <laughs> I didn't recognize the numbers on the boat. Yeah. But also, well, there's the, the U.S. flag. But looking right, at where our of, boat would have been. Where it yeah. would have been, but looking yeah. at all of the different flags along there, 
Yeah. What was what was that like showing up and you know and obviously you're you're in a different part of the world, but all of these different languages happening, but the camaraderie that went with being there and it all none of none of the other stuff mattered at that point. Like once you got there, it was all about that. What was what was that like? To, to me, the camaraderie was instant. As soon as you met other rowers, I think we got we we walked off the ferry and past the cafe where they were having coffee and boom, we, we met the first couple of teams within minutes. And wild pulling waves. You, yeah, pulling wild waves. Yeah, those rock stars. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they're pulling you in, let's have a coffee, let's talk. And it was just so exciting to see everybody not on a Talisker snapshot, you know, to actually start meeting people in person. Yeah. And you just got tighter and tighter as the week went on. It was, it was really, it's an amazing community. And so not having the boat, I think, uh, Hup, you said most people had, or most teams had their boat for nine days and you guys had three days, a little less than three days, or 64 yeah. hours with your yeah. boat. How did that affect you guys mentally in, in this like huge task, right? You spent two and a half years. What was that effect on you mentally? And then how did the community help you get over that? Yeah, I'll answer I, I, the second part. Oh, go yeah, ahead. Go, yeah, go ahead, Bill, please. Yeah, I was going to answer the second part of the question. How did the community, the, the other teams were phenomenal. They, from the second that they heard our boat was delayed, people were reaching out to us saying, hey, we'll help when it gets here. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. So we never had that real worry that the boat, once it got here, that we wouldn't get it ready because we, we knew that we had support from, from so many other people, all the other rowing teams. Um, now, whether or not the boat was going to get there or not, that's a different story. We were all, I, I, I won't lie and say we weren't stressing it a little bit. And Paul, probably more than most of us, um, you know, we had confidence that it would, that it would all work out. We didn't get that far without a little bit of confidence that things would work out for the, for the right reasons. But now, now guys, I gotta, I gotta ask just to make sure that we're really clear for the folks who might be listening and have no idea what is really entailed. Oh, here. sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I've been to rowing regattas. I've coached high school and middle school kids. I've seen people take 45 minutes to rig a boat, right? There's four or five nuts per rigger. <laughs> What do you mean you mean nine days to pack this thing? What What's going in this boat after it arrives? Well, we had right. about 1,000 pounds worth of food, like 900 and some odd pounds, close to 1,000 pounds worth of food. And then they you have to – it's already on the boat when it was shipped over. There you go. There you go, yeah. Um, so there's about 6,000 calories a day, uh, give or take, per rower per day. And that's all in those little bundles, uh, individually wrapped. Um, they were on the boat when we shipped it over there, and then we have to take it out. It has to be inspected along with all of our gear. You see the blue tarps there. One blue tarp was food. The other blue tarp was all of our equipment and all of our personal gear. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's a lot that goes into this boat and on the boat and get stored away into uh, just just to make sure you could even start the race. Yeah. Did you guys have training sessions when you got there with, you know, the the Atlantic campaigns people as to what you needed to do? Or by that point it was, hey, this all this stuff's done. Like let's let's get ready to go. Yeah, the goal there is to pass the final inspection to start. Yeah. And so you're just focused on Getting official so that when the gun goes off, you can leave the pier. 
That's they don't let you put the boat in the water until your inspection with all your gear is uh, passed. So they'll come through multiple times and they'll tell you like this part of it's okay, but you still have to get this and this, or this piece of the puzzle isn't right. You have to go and find this and that. And luckily there's obviously local uh, establishments that um, know this race is happening and they're, um, you know, they, they sell the odds and ends that you might need. I don't know how many runs we made for, Different pair of <laughs> China Bazaar, Chinese Bazaar, <laughs> little, little brushes, or you know, um, I, I can't even remember flashlights or whatever we might have needed that was missing, or that was uh, that we just were like, Oh, we're gonna need this. Or we saw great thing about it was we had plenty of time to look at other people's boats because ours wasn't there, and it was like, Hey, we didn't think of that. This would be a great thing instead of what we're using. This is a lot less cumbersome, it's going to take up less space. Let's ditch A and go with B. and so we were able to learn. I think that was something that we did well. Um, we observed and drank a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where the nine days came from, but, but we did that crap in two and a half days. The nine days is every other crew. All the regular crews had nine yeah. days, is what he said. So, uh, yeah. Jason, I'd also like to mention this. When you talk about having a skipper and having a crew, when this, when this part started, I want to tell you that Paul set a calm – graceful demeanor for the whole crew, which was crucial. It was like getting your mental game ready even before we got on the water because we really were under a bit of adversity and, and not cracking and not having that devolve or losing focus. And I think Paul set a tone there that was really important right until we got up on the water. It was really, yeah. really well done as the skipper. You know, I mm. think as, as a coach, you, you recognize, and, and Ryan can attest to this, right? Like, when the shit or oh, sorry, this is gonna go live. Um, when the crap hits the fan at any regatta or, or whatever, everybody looks to the leader, to the head coach, to the skipper, and you know deep down you're freaking out too. Sure, but you can't portray that. So, Paul, I know you were freaking out. How did you bring it down and tone it down? Um, you know, I, I want to really throw the football back to Hop, um, and and, and throw it back to the crew because I, I think when the crew is communicating with you and they're showing a resiliency that no matter what obstacle is going to be thrown in front of us, we're going to work together. And I think having those upfront conversations can give a skipper or a leader or a manager or anybody, whatever you want to give that title to, um, you know, about a confidence that, you know, we're going to make, we're going to make this happen. So I think it really goes back to the crew, too. I mean, I've had many conversations, um, you know, with Hup during that time about the things that we that we would have to do once once we were ready to kind of rock and lock and road on that. Um, but if I can, Jason, if I can go back to the community piece mm -hmm. and the piece Hup was building on about when we got out there with the 11 different flags from the 11 different countries. Um, I think that's that's crucial also in what Hup's saying. You know, when we got there. The reason we felt so comfortable with everybody and the reason I really want to emphasize on this is because if you've got any folks that are listening out there, whether they're young or old, but anybody that's going to take any kind of journey like this, it is so important that you focus on the people in your journey um, and that that will make all the difference in the world. So just to give you an example, you know, like in the beginning when Hup was talking with um, Rhinoch or Hup was talking with somebody that might have had a task that he had, or if Billy had a task with equipment 
and he was outreaching with somebody in the community or Cam needed to talk to the medical officer. It was all those upfront conversations that happen on the 300th day, you know, not the 90th day. Um, you know, when I say 300, it's back in the reverse. You know, it was those conversations that happened in November of 2019. It's that conversation with that young man at Jacksonville University who was the head row coach named Jason. You know, that's what kind of builds the relationship. And then that sustainability to have those continuous conversations go until the very end like we are right now. That's what is just so important that makes the experience. Yeah, I, th I think it's, I mean, it's validating in a lot of ways. Like, again, Ryan and I are coaches, but for anybody that listens, listening to this now or is going to listen to this in the future, right? Transparency, honesty, and love in your communication with each other, even though those conversations may be really hard, is going to be what gets you through the toughest of times. And, and no matter how long it actually takes, right? You're because you're building a relationship, you're building a trust, you're building a foundation. That is what carries you through those storms, right? And gets and gets you onto the other side of it. That's incredible. Yeah. That's absolutely incredible. Hey, Jason, another thing to give for, to the crew, and you all know this. I mean, when you're doing a short-term event, it's okay if things go wrong and you you've got some, you know, backup on it. But you take a long-term high-endurance event like this. And the whole crew has to go out. And that's what these three guys have done, I think, in a very spectacular fashion, is that you don't worry about what you don't have. You just really focus on what you do have. And what we had at that time when we didn't have the boat is we had each other. We had our plan. We still had our vision. And, you know, you wait until that boat comes and, and, and then you tactically move along with it. Just like when you're out in the ocean. If you lose your water maker, you're not going to cry and focus on you know, why did we lose the water maker? You're just going to worry about what can we do to fix the water maker? Yeah. Paul, yeah, let's yeah. play it one more time for all the athletes in the back. Seriously. Control the controllables. You know, that's, that's what you're saying. You're not, you took your time to worry about what you could make changes with and what you could affect positively. And you kept it there. I do want to, I wanted to, I wanted to grab that. I'm going to tie this into something, but I want to take a quick second to remind everybody who is listening, if they're listening live, that we will get any comments or questions that you send in right now while we still have the guys from the crew on the show. So you got another 20 minutes probably to get a question in at most. Um, we're not going to keep you guys for too long. So sorry for the quick advertisement, to, but is in coming back to the mindset and the beginning of the row, especially one of the questions that I, I know a lot of people are going to ask immediately with you guys and your experience with military service, how much of that do you think was helpful in dictating your mindset and the way you handled yourself? A lot. 90%. Yeah. I, I got to say, when I came back, I, I told a lot of people, I said, I don't know how somebody who's, pardon the expression, uh, a desk jockey or, cause I'm a, I'm one now, but, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, somebody that just goes into this with a regular civilian mindset and just, cause I mean, other than our military, I mean, I, I don't know if this has been pointed out. None of us have a rowing background. I mean, we do now, but we, we didn't, we didn't beforehand. So, um, to sit here, uh, after the fact, I I'm amazed that, you know, we met some people that are planning on doing this uh, next year and the year after, and they're like a husband and wife or they're, they're two friends that, you know, work in accounting or something like that. And I'm like, wow, because I really think, <laughs> honestly, because I really think that, you know, the military uh, bearing 
is is what for me i just even with the goofball that i am i mean there's still something to be said for that military bearing that you're taught and you learn and um you carry on through life and i think you know that this was something that really helped in our journey awesome we'll keep moving like we could talk about this all night long too um which is great, but also we've, we've got a limited amount of time. So uh, let's go to you shove off. You say your goodbyes to everybody, um, which I, can, I, I, I can't even imagine what that emotion is like, shoving off from the dock and taking those strokes away from your family. But the, the picture we have up here, this Paul sent, I guess Paul sent, he's taking the picture. But the last picture you had, so the last picture that came from you, I guess on a cell phone or whatever, to Facebook. And then, and then you were gone, right? Mm -hmm. What was that feeling like, especially when that last tip of land disappeared over the horizon? It's, uh, it, it's, it's really moving. I mean, I can just start it on this. I know when we lost sight of Tenerife, it, it, it was pretty, it just throws a, a, a realism into it that we have each other right now. Um, we definitely have our land support team but the four guys in the boat right now is is our is our world our knowledge and our camaraderie our our ability to communicate with each other was just so apparent you know so needed um and it was actually a, a beautiful thing i think it kind of you know tied us together i mean we always have our moments but when it always came push to shove with anything we have even through our training when we you know i always think of the tybee island run uh, we were just always there for each other, but it but it does make it real because I will tell you, Jason. I, I wrote a little piece on this uh, for for your viewers to listen to. You have I'm gonna just say it in three guys, but myself also four guys. You have four guys that that left every. You know, we don't. I could tell you right now, the four of us don't like hearing the word like hero or you know stars or anything like that. We don't. We're, we're four common guys, but we are four common guys that really left everything behind to give to others so even when we you know lost sight of the land we still knew what the mission um was about and its importance gotcha. so i guess I, I don't know if i'm really articulating that right but the mission always came first even losing sight of shore yeah that's moving as 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 cam put it was just the would you desk jockeys we can't imagine yeah. what that's like being able to finally hear somebody that's that's done it in in this format to to say something like that is is pretty powerful and, and moving in a way that I hate to say it like this but there's more out there than your desk, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's just there's so much more out there than your desk, and I hope that's something that that we get out of this conversation too. So you're out there on the water, you're moving. What was the plan? Did you have a first 24 hours plan? First 48 hours? Don't uh, die. See what happens. <laughs> And Try then the plan eat. goes out the window. Like, sure. how? Walk us through that first forty-eight hours. Like, what? What were the steps of abandoning plans, sticking to plans, whatnot? Well, the first couple of days you're seasick. First, first couple of days, all, all, yeah. all four of us were a little bit seasick. Okay. So I, I don't know. I mean, we still stuck to pretty much a regiment um, that we had planned, like the two hours on, two hours off rowing. I mean, for the most part, we stuck to that. I, I want to say until about halfway through, and then we decided to shift up to a three-hour shift at night. Yeah, the first the first couple of days, we I think we we, we ran into the to a little bit of a an issue where we had to go on para anchor. I think that was on day three. 
if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So around day three, we ran into a place where we weren't we weren't getting any anywhere um, yeah. fast. So it was just more beneficial for us just to to kind of hang and wait wait things out for conditions to get a little bit better. Yeah, um, that that storm that, had kind of shifted a little bit further south, and and those uh, easterly winds or from the winds out of the west were <laughs> screwing you at that at, at the moment. <laughs> Um, so we, we, we got a question in from Will from fight or die who was out there. Um, how did you guys pass the time a during, I would say during the time on anchor, but also like during storms and whatnot, were you actively rowing during the, the rough storms or did you literally just hunker in the cabinets and throw out the sea anchor and let it pass and keep going? Yeah, we were fortunate. We only anchored that one time. Uh, and so we got through that one night, Paul and I, we just kind of cuddled, you know, it's a, it's a cozy little cabin. And uh, and then the next day it, it kind of broke and we moved on. I would like to yeah. say about that part, too, is that if we go back to practice and the time on the water, we could have been better at a para anchor. And that's a lesson that we learned while we were on the water that, you know, once you're out there in in ocean rowing, as opposed to a coastal situation or even an ICW, that getting out there and understanding how to deploy uh, a para anchor for anybody that's thinking about it, that's the that's one you want to have in the bag for sure before you go out because uh, we we underutilized that and we could have uh, we could have deployed it better. Lesson learned on, on 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 me on that one too. And it was deployed at a time where it was just enough time to give us extra rest. So you know that adrenaline, the seasickness was taking its toll, and the, um, I think when we actually dropped it, it was time for like where we would normally be going to sleep. So we just I think we ended up were we ten hours we were on it. Yeah, just about something like that. Nine, ten hours. I forget exactly what the time frame was, but um, it was just that time of the day where it was like, OK, your body's still kind of in land mode. And uh, we were able to sleep right through it. There wasn't like playing cards or long drawn, uh, you know, touching conversations or anything like that. Sorry. Oh, come on. Yeah, I had At least not on our end. I don't know. I, I on your end of it. Not yeah, I, I slept. You know, I was like snoring. Billy will tell you how I snore. So, <laughs> yes, you do. Well, guys, you're th you're throwing a lot out there. That's all happened in your three days from the start line, <laughs> right? Right. right. Um, yeah. And so there is a lot. How are you making? How are you trying to inform the decisions on which direction you're pointing the boat and which way you're trying to travel? And then you're when you go on sea anchor, when you go off, how are you making those decisions? Yeah. So uh, if I could throw a little bit in there on this one, the weather is is your biggest factor always. You got it. You got to have a great weather router. Anyone will tell you to. And uh, before you leave the the campaign, made there's some weather coming across. Everyone would do best to push south. Go down as you can. That they give you a way where they would like you to be before you make the turn to the west. Uh, so we really were fortunate in trying to out weather, and it kept us really focused on direction or course. And then. Uh, I'm going to prop up Paul's wife, Ruth, jumped on a great weather router, given her aviation experience and was providing yeah. us some really critical data as that make that turn to the West. And you can see uh, for some of the other boats, they got caught in some of that that we managed to avoid. So yep. we were I think we were fortunate there that we had a great team all the way around here and on the boat to, to help you navigate that part. Yeah. Got to have somebody on that weather. The ocean you know, one thing I think that's critical also it. that a lot of your viewers know is yeah. um, you get caught in, in something in ocean rowing and it's really hard to make up 
you know, to make up time. And I got to give the four of us really a lot of props that after we came off that sea anchor, that we really got back into the, you know, into the second group of, of folks. Cause I think at that time, a lot, you know, kind of wrote us off like, well, wow, they're going to be way back, you know, and we roped right back into, um, you know, right into the pack, even for, you know, four guys that never had the mission and, you know, and focus on racing. We yeah. just really kind of more focused on just navigating well, still kind of giving us the, you know, the best ride around weather and so forth. So what was it like out there that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're running through this time, but storms, was it hot? Was it cold? I see in, in pictures we have up with the rain and the rainbows and the rain jackets. Like what, what was it like? A little cooler than we thought. Really? Coming out, yeah. Yeah, coming out of Spain it, it, in the evening time, it was cool. It didn't really get warm until you, until you actually made that, that real westerly turn so it was, it was actually a little bit cooler we didn't get a whole a whole lot of rain we got maybe 10 days worth i'd say where it actually rained and and, and got us wet but but um the evenings were cool daytime was temperate so it was pretty decent and then once we got a little bit closer to antigua then it started getting hot during the day and a lot warmer at night so there's like two weeks where it's all the same. You put on your cold weather gear, you come out, you row for five minutes, you strip off the coat. Five minutes later, you strip <laughs> off the pants. <laughs> yeah, and one of these pictures, we got some jockeys hanging out to dry too, which is pretty good. Um, you know, so so as we as we go on, I want I want to talk and and be a little bit specific with each one of you individually, Paul. You, as we talked about before, it seemed like every picture that that I see of you is of you in the water and 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 whatnot. What was it like? Or A, were you the only one that jumped in the water to clean the bottom of the boat? And B, what was it like knowing, as I think before this all started, Hup, Hup and Charlotte and I were talking about, you know, the closest person to you outside of your, you know, the people rowing, you know, in the middle of this race were people on the space station, right? What was it like being out there 1,500 miles from anybody, any land, and you jumping in the water and, and obviously taking these absolutely incredible pictures. Um, well, thanks on the pictures. You know, for me, it was a, a lifelong, a lifelong dream to be in that kind of an setting, to be in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and 16,000 feet of water. I just knew that that, you know, may never happen again in, you know, in my entire life. Um, but it really kind of ties into, Jason, I think the piece that you brought out in the beginning about One for the Sea. Um, and I know Hup recognized this and my personality and Cam definitely recognized it. And uh, Billy always jokes with me on the island when I'm doing it. Actually, I was in Billy's house today dripping sand and, and water at one of our, our meetings in my wetsuit. Um, for me, you know, I find and, and Hup even made these comments on the boat. You know, he's like, oh, I bet you feel really good, um, which is real perceptive of him that that the ocean for some people and, and maybe everybody in, in different ways has a, a, a health wellness property to it that just can make things really just that much better. And that's why I was really always looking for, you know, I was really trying to respect the guys. If I was on a solo row, I probably would have been in the ocean probably twice a day, um, you know, floating, but you know, you also have to take the guys <laughs> and everybody into consideration because it's, you know, it's a four man crew. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was a it was a very uh, you know robust time for me mentally to be able to just jump in there and see this this vast creation creation from God that just is 
so overwhelming. I mean, look at that school of fish. It just was mind blowing, you know, that they would come up to you that close. And you, there's just an energy exchange that's unbelievable. And Hup, like you were in a, this what Professor Hup series that you had going on there for a while. <laughs> Seems like yeah. you were you were the navigator, tech technology guru, whatnot. Yeah. What, what was the inspiration behind uh, Professor Hup and and all of that? That you know, that really just kind of popped out organically. There was there was not a plan for that, except that we knew we could send content content back, and because our community was so important to us, we wanted them to feel like they were coming along on the journey. Like we we really wanted to take everybody with us. So that's really what that organically grew out of. I think submarining as a submariner, I'm kind of a techie nerdy kind of guy that way, and so I love the pieces and the parts and the you know the trying to keep things running but everybody honestly all the time the whole crew does that it, 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 i hope it didn't come off as one guy but the whole crew is taking care of everything all the time i just happen to be the guy on video to send some content back you know? so you're just um, the face and everybody else is doing everything else yeah somebody's got to do that part. somebody's got to row <laughs> but yeah, yeah somebody has to row right so speaking of people rowing Bill, <clears throat> i would say the majority of the pictures i saw of anybody rowing was just you rowing I felt like you were the only in the pictures that came back. You were the only guy that was sitting there with oars in your hand rowing. Thought that was uh, that was pretty interesting. Um, but so, Bill, you you have a, a different obstacle or challenge that, that that you overcame while you were out there. That's pretty inspiring as a whole. Um, and and having diabetes and, and how did you how were you able to to manage that and and over overcome that that obstacle or that challenge and make it. Well, it, it helped. I, I was diagnosed with type one juvenile diabetes in 1991. Um, so it's, I've had it for a number of years and I've been able to kind of keep it in check and can control it that way. Um, I mean, on the on the row, it, it brought in a whole different challenge just because of the, the food and the type of food that we that we were subject to have on the boat. There's not a lot of fresh fruit, fruit and vegetables um, on the boat. But um, so that that brought it to a whole different level for me. Um, at first, it, it took a little bit of tweaking, you know, the first five or six days. And plus the seasickness didn't help, you know, the, the stomach is not wanting to eat. But it, it, it worked itself out after about five days um, where I was able to kind of keep it under keep it in check. Yeah, um, I have a, a device called a continuous glucose monitoring system. It's a Dexcom system. And I don't want to do an advertisement for Dexcom, but, <laughs> but um, I used that um, the whole way. And only one point where it got wet, it got saturated and, and it wasn't working properly. So I was very thankful that I had a contact back back in the U.S. that I was able to call and help me reset and reset the Dexcom system. And I was also very thankful that Cam was OK with having that in the cabin and beeping constantly because <laughs> it would beep if my sugar got too high or beep if it got too low. And yeah. and to keep it dry, I had to hang it in the cabin where Cam when Cam was sleeping when he was off shift, so he had to listen to it all the time. And mm -hmm. and um, thankfully he didn't get so mad and throw it overboard. And, <laughs> and <he didn't> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, after after I was able to after that I was, was able to keep it keep it under control. But you know gotcha. the whole diabetes thing is just I don't I for people that know me I I've always liked to kind of challenge challenge myself and do things that people tell me I, that I can't do. I mean, when I first got diagnosed, they told me I couldn't be in the army, you know? And um, from there, I, I've gone on to do a lot of different things with, with my diabetes that a lot of people say, oh, oh my God, you can do that with diabetes. So uh, rowing the ocean is one of them. 
awesome. another check in the book, right? That's awesome. And Cam, youngest member, the youngster of the group. Um, so I, I, yeah, eligible I consider... for AARP in a couple of months, by the way. I'm just saying, sound like I'm what, 20. Uh, what, what I would consider is something pretty special. Um, you know, you you really solidified and 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 you know chiseled your your name in the history books here, um, being the first uh, United States Air Force veteran to row across the Atlantic. Um, I, I, knowing you, I don't think you ever think about it like that, but what, what does that, what do you think that means? Like, what is, what does that mean to you or what, what can that mean to a, the rest of the United States air force and the youngsters coming up in it and, and just, you know, as a whole, well, first, it means that the other three branches could step off and stop making fun. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I took a lot of guff from the uh, the other three branches represented on this boat. Uh, so, no. Um, no, it, I don't think it says anything more than, uh, you know, just the fact that anybody did it. Um, you know, I, I there's a small part of me that's like, cool, uh, you know, that's great. Um, wasn't anything I set out to do. It wasn't like I found out that if there was another Air Force guy that did it before me, I wasn't going to do it. No, I, I just think it's great that we had a well-rounded crew and that, you know, it's the first time that four different branches have been on the, the same boat at the same time. And yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think, you know, Paul and I talked about this as well as some of us, but Paul and I were on a specific row where we took some people out and there was this uh, one young gentleman that came out with us uh and that one particular time sticks out in my mind and after we got done rowing with him he was going off to summer camp and paul and i actually had a really cool conversation about you know we had taken a number of people out and we people reached out to us anyway i'll come to a conclusion here uh how great it would be if you know somehow somewhere along the line unbeknownst to us hopefully with our knowledge that you know somehow we inspired somebody to do this and um if it takes you know, somebody from a different branch doing it, you know, so be it. If it takes uh, being, I'm also the first JU member, as far as I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's actually, that's, that's, I had that flag flying too. too. You so, did. I saw that one too. I saw that one. Yeah. Too. But um, no, I just think that any one of us, uh, if somebody sees it and they, they, they feel the urge, they just, they should just know it's, you know, going with the other foundation that I know we'll talk about here in a little bit, cross the line, that, that name has a meaning, you know, that comfort line that, what everybody or anybody's comfortable with, whether they're a veteran or they're dealing with something else as a civilian, um, you know, things are doable and you, you just can't let yourself get in the way. And, you know, just if you if you have the the knack and the the, the mentality and the drive, then uh, then do it. And if you got three crazy friends that are talking you into it, do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Even more so do it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we got we have another guest who's going to join the show here in a, in a moment. And um, so what we've got is uh, four different ocean crossings uh, now represented with wow. bringing Suzanne Pinto in. Thank you for joining us. Hi, nice to see you. Hey, Suzanne. Hi, Suzanne. And Hello. there's a share. There's a shared experience in this, and that yeah. we all did an ocean row in one way or another. But this is Jason. This is one of your questions. And it's a simple question. I'd like to ask the guys from Four From Home and Suzanne to describe this moment. And if you view the show, you're able to see that. But this is the guys from Four From Home. Um, Suzanne, <laughs> in your crossings, how has that arrival at Fort 
felt to uh, it's totally the same um we came into port um it was a long time it was pitch black the, the port authorities didn't want us to come in um so we came in anyway we couldn't find the shore we couldn't find the port but i could hear my children screaming my name <laughs> wow. so we awesome. basically followed the sound and uh arrived in port and then because we came in illegally we were detained the next day <laughs> for wow. for not passing inspection and and they said well you know you could have brought in a terrible disease and in fact we did but we didn't know that at the time wow I just want to mention that uh, it's International Women's Day, and Suzanne is representing the f female rowing community. Um, so I just want to make sure we had somebody on who was representing women rowers and inspiring the rest of us to do amazing things like this. So, oh, heck yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I yeah. noticed yeah. you all rowed my boat. You did Britannia 3. No, they no? were courageous. Courageous. No. We were uh, courageous. Courageous. So do you all sell your boats after you're done, right? No. Oh. <laughs> no. My our boat went back to England on a freighter. Yeah, we still have our boat, and we're going to try to sell it or lease it. Yeah, so, or mean, use it again. One of the three. Sale, but <laughs> yeah. Nice. I think ours is still on a container ship on its way back to the states, right, Paul? Yeah. It, it got, it's in West Palm. It's West Palm. Getting oh, clear through Palm. customs now. Hey, Jason, Brian, I think what's and and Suzanne, you could probably relate to this. Um, not probably. I know you can. I think what's really important that your listeners understand, too, is um, if you could put that image back up of us crossing the line real quick. So I'd, I'd like you to all know that on October 1st, 2019, that all four of us, when we sat down and had no boat, no money, we had just pads in front of us with a vision that all four of us, we saw this image that very night. And yeah. I think that's very oh, important totally. for, yep. There was never a doubt in our mind, you know, other than something us, you know, happened along the way that we could not control that the four of us were not going to be together. Um, and, and that really coming off the boat, you know, there mm -hmm. is, is a symbol of us hugging on the boat, coming off and hugging. You know, we, we did that along with the community. That's, that's an amazing vision to have, I think. How triumphant that moment. Absolutely. Yeah, so there, there are these pictures of the before and after. And I, I know all of you, and, and Ryan included, right? Um, and Hup and, Hup and I and Charlotte were talking beforehand that I can only imagine, but when you start and then when you finish, you've got to be changed in some way, obviously physically, right, and, and, and whatnot. But I would assume, also assume that each one of you may have had your own journey and your own adaptation, your own change of what it meant to you. Um, that might be slightly different and very individual to you. For 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 all of you, what what was that like for you? How how did it change you? How does it how did it change you and your outlook on life and you as a as as just a human and how you and how you see the world now? Anybody start? I'll go first because it's quick. Uh, we've been back such a short time that I'm still trying to come to terms with that question. <laughs> uh, in all fairness, you know, I think I would good. love to hear Suzanne's answer. Because she's had some time to really reflect. To on think that. about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think that I learned to live with myself, be in myself, understand things. One of the great things I understood is that nobody cares when I'm pissed off, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's so soft. Um, but just to 
more there's so many hours uh, facing adversity and danger and uh, life-threatening things that to sit and know yourself better, I think that was the most fun. I usually am too busy to know myself. When we talked earlier, you said you'd do it again in a heartbeat. Is that Did I hear that correctly? Yeah. Well, in fact, um, I was invited to cross uh, the Pacific, and I was pretty excited about that, but my family said no. Uh, they didn't want to do this again. Um, we were just planning a trip to be the first to row from Miami to Boston, Massachusetts, and that fell through. So now I'm going to be rowing in five days in Vancouver, ocean rowing. Mm -hmm. But I would go back and do it again anytime. Well, it's I think for me, uh, sorry, just real quick. So, um, yeah, I think I definitely came back with a perspective of my wife says I've never seemed so relaxed. You know, my shoulders aren't as tense. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that going back to work has changed a little bit of that. But um, <laughs> no, I just, you know, I think if you if you learn anything, it's you're a you're a you know that old saying you're just speck of sand in the mm -hmm. grand scheme of life and i think the ocean really makes you realize just how small you are and how small your problems are and uh when you come off that boat yeah you know ian uh one of the uh the gentlemen the the organizer i'm not the organizer i'm not giving him the right title but anyway ian from uh atlantic challenges and talisker whiskey uh you know he says he wants to meet everybody at the boat to see it in their eyes because he can tell when he looks at you, whether you, you get it or not. And I think um, you can see in that after picture, I think all four of us get it. Um, you know, life is, life is short, you know, and we did something that we absolutely, you know, we put our blood, sweat and tears into for three years and while we were on the water. So uh, yeah, for me, I've got a 18 year old and a seven year old at home here. And uh, all I thought about was just wanting to be a, a better dad and a better husband and spend as much time with them as I could. Um, because I think, you know, that was something that I, I saw uh, on the water was time short, even if it seems long on the water. And Suzanne, I think you made history uh, when you went on your road, right? Yes. Uh, I was the oldest female ever to cross an ocean. That's pretty good. No, nice. Uh, nice. Wow. I was, uh, I turned 59. My birthday was on the road. Oh, nice Paul. rocket. <laughs> that happened to Paul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are, you, are you the old guy? <laughs> no. 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 Yeah, I think I delivered us in the AARP magazine. So. <laughs> <laughs> I had a question that was also asked, and I want to make sure that we give uh, both Bill and um, Paul a chance to answer that question as well of how it impacted you. The return to normal, that was what Jonathan from Pacific Boys asked. Have there been any surprises for you guys in the way that you're feeling now a few weeks out of your crossing? Yeah, we'll, we'll make it the two-part. So I, I can answer <laughs> the first part of the question was, was yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the in, – like with Cameron, I'm much more relaxed. When I wake up every morning, I'm not – I'm usually a pretty high-strung person and – at times that I mean, my day, I have a checklist. I have to get everything done in, or I freak out. So I don't do that anymore. So I'm, I'm much more, I wake up every day and say, ah, okay, whatever the day brings, it brings, you know, but as far as the second part, I guess, is getting back to normal life. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, here, here on the island, we all, we live in a small community. So things are, are kind of starting to get back to normal, at least for me, anyhow, but, but uh, that's the way I look at it. How about you, Paul? Um, for me, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm 
you know, when you look at yourself, you look at yourself differently. I, I always felt like I was kind of mellow before. I feel like I'm still kind of mellow. I really feel like I've, I've gotten back to normal pretty quickly. Um, I think about a week when I came back, I got on the ERG. Or actually, it might have been a little bit sooner because I needed to go to the bathroom. So the ERG kind of helped that process a little bit. Gave me the, uh, the motion of rowing again. <laughs> That helps accelerate it. I had a power shake and then went on the erg and, <laughs> and good things happened. So the things um, you get used to. Yeah. 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 So um, that, but then the erg just felt good. Um, so I've been back on the erg um, really every other day. Um, I actually got on a coastal rowboat, which that was a gentleman from JU. Uh, Clint took me out. I went down to Jacksonville and did some uh, coastal rowing. I'm waiting for him to come back from vacation so I can jump on his boat again. Um, so I feel, yeah, I feel like a lot has gone back to normal. I've, I've got a house that I'm restoring. I've jumped right into that. I'm back surfing. And, um, the only thing I have to say that's probably not normal and maybe my crewmates can help me on this one and they can send me to intervention. I just been eating like a, that's been like out of control, man. Well, I've the, had the, lucky charms, punch keys, you name it. I've had it. We had a lot of years since we've had that. I talked to the women at uh, Project X, the Swiss women, and they said, I said, what was your first meal off the boat? And she said, a cheeseburger. And our second meal was a cheeseburger. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Yeah. I think they just kept eating cheeseburgers. So, so I mean, to end it too, I would love to, I like with Suzanne, so I would really love the opportunity again to, uh, you know, if I had to say anything probably negative about the row, I like to be in the water more than I like to be on top of it. But I would like to row again. Well, there's something special even for rowing. And it's not just there's there's a lot of shared experience for those of us that have done an ocean crossing. Statistically, it's a big minority. Not a lot of people do it. You know, more people have gone to outer space and into orbit than have rowed across an ocean. And a lot of people have sailed um, relative to the number that have rowed. But you're still going, there's a threshold usually between rowing and sailing where you're going too fast to really be part of it hmm. uh, once you got to sail up. And I think that it's it's pretty hard to describe. I really appreciate the way that the five of you have put some of that to words, the feeling that you get. So, Hey, Jason and Brian, if I can add on there, I think what makes, I don't know if anybody's seen the post, and I know each one of the guys feel the same way, um, you know, for we took it as like individuals, like the ocean really reshaped us as individuals, but I think we have to put that community piece back in there. I know that each one of us, um, the community really reshaped our hearts, the way they came uh, in and supported our row from, from our vision to the, to the very end and now even beyond the row. I mean, every day we're out in the community, there's just nothing but Oh, no, we lost him. That's I think right. I, he was starting to get a bad internet connection, but uh, there is one other question, I think, from... Yeah, for Suzanne. Um, did you follow some of the other female crews in the intervening years? So have, how how much have you paid attention to dot watching? Oh, no, I watch. I, mm -hmm. I watch to see what they're doing, uh, where they're going. You know, I'm part of the Ocean Rowing Society, so I get to notices all the time about where people are. I mean, there's not that many women's crews, so I get to watch everybody's movement across the ocean. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I was disappointed. There were some people the year or two years after I went, uh, some women were doing a trip and they disbanded. They couldn't do it. 
uh, which is unfortunate. There a lot of a lot of things can happen, and hopefully Paul's internet gets um, gets back, and we're able to welcome him back. But I think one of the things he was going to, as he talked about community, was some of the causes that the four from home guys that you guys partnered with. And we do want to, we're, we're well over time. So to anyone still <laughs> listening and watching, thank you for hanging with us. Thank you very much to our guests for being here. And I want to give you guys a chance to talk real quickly about, let's start with the Canines for Warriors. Yeah, I, I'll jump in and give you a quick one on that. Uh, Canines for Warriors has been around for uh, about 10 years. And in that time, they've, they've rescued dogs and as well as gotten them for breeders and trained them. Uh, to be partners with warriors who suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, other other PTSD-related uh, issues like suicide. And they have about a 99.9% .9 success rate, 700 dogs in the last 10 years. So w originally, our idea was just to help train a couple of dogs, you know, just uh, raise enough money to help put a couple of dogs through training. It's about $28,000 per dog is our was our understanding. Uh, and then the campaign just kept growing and, and growing and uh, proud to say that we ended up building a mega kennel <laughs> at the Canines for Warriors <laughs> facility in Ponte Vedra, which was a, a $500,000 buy-in at our level. But that will train 150 dogs a year uh, in perpetuity. And that's because they have currently about a four-year waiting list for folks who, who need service dogs. Um, so it, I feel blessed. The, the whole campaign came together. The, the community came together, it got bigger and bigger, and it's just going to make such a difference for, for, for these veterans' lives. And so I, I think it's amazing to take an endurance or an extreme sport and have it turned into something so big and beautiful that you never really saw coming, you know, just just because we attempt, you know, had had the uh, idea to attempt this crossing. It became this really big program. So quite proud of that. That's Courageous Kennel. Uh, on their screen there they're going to name it after the boat so yeah. in talking and about uh you know communities and whatnot right your your veteran community is is real is is the other side of this right so canines for warriors is one of them yeah. and cross the line foundation is another um right. tell us a little bit about cross the line foundation as well and, and and what it's it's doing to help that community you want me to take that yeah, please. Hi, Bill. Cross, Cross Line is a local um, nonprofit that was formed here in Fernandina Beach, and, and it actually generated the name Cross the Line came from a kayaking event that we do here locally um, once a year where we kayak, we, we find a select veteran charity or, or veteran organization to donate to. And um, we do a, pa a kayak paddle from Georgia to Florida back to Fernandina. It's a little nine mile kayak paddle, but that's there. That's the Cross the Line signature event. But Cross the Line also um, has evolved to the point where we started, um, and, and I say we because Paul and I are actually the, um, the co-founders of Cross the Line, started um, a scholarship endowment where we award four scholarships to the either children of veterans, um, uh, students that are entering the ROTC program, or uh, veterans um, in the TAP program that are releasing, transitioning out of the military. And, and looking to go to a trade school of some sort. So so the money that Four From Home raised or some of the money that Four From Home raised went towards towards that scholarship endowment to help establish that scholarship endowment, which at this point is now pretty significant and will allow us to award scholarships for the next 10 years through Cross the Line with the Cross the Line name. But again, we also do we do different different fundraisers. We've, we've rose to a point where now 
Um, we have a, a Veterans Day run that, that we're going to start doing, a uh, cross-line golf tournament. And all that, all those funds raised, it's all strictly the cross-line board's for people, and we're all volunteers. Every It's all run by volunteers. And uh, then the, anything we raise goes to different veteran charities or veteran organizations. And, and a plug for them, this year's paddle, if anyone's interested, is June 25th here. So the registration goes up on Monday. June 25th at Amelia Island? Yeah, well, we boat people over. It starts in St. Mary's, Georgia, and across the line to back to Fernandina. But, but yeah, we we shuttle people over to Fern, or to St. Mary's. All right, and where can we get? Where can people get more information on that, Bill? It'll it'll be um, up on Paddle Guru on Monday. The registration site will be up and running on Paddle Guru Monday, and different on our Facebook page, the Cross the Line Facebook page, and Cross the Line Foundation website. We'll have information about the paddle. Wonderful. Well, I know we're way over time at this point, um, but it's it's always a pleasure to to talk. Um, yeah, talk talk life, talk relationships, talk what's what the good stuff is, right? Um, so, four from home guys. Yeah, um, Paul's gone, but at this point, Hup, Bill, Cam. It, this is the first time I've seen y'all since a hey, you've been back. Uh, I'm, yes, I'm, dri- I'm driving down there. Hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, so I'll uh, I'll have to stop through and 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 help catch a catch a concert if possible <laughs> well um, i i noticed the uh the the uh, next year's rower asked about the physical part that the hands yeah. are still coming around suzanne i don't know how long it may have taken you and, and uh, ryan to get your digits as a guitar player it's been quite the struggle i know yeah uh, oh so yeah i was gonna add to that too my fingers are still a little bit screwed up yeah <laughs> so they're fight or die guys for next year i saw your question pop yeah. up there is uh Man, take those uh, stretches seriously when you get back. Start working yeah. right away. Yeah. Quick shout out to next year's. I missed an opportunity. Sorry to there the is. fight or yeah, die Tommy. team. But uh, next year's fight or die team is slated to be an all Air Force team. So I'm pretty proud of that. I'll be watching those guys. So Cameron said benchmark. Heck yeah. So uh, if anybody needs any help on how an Air Force guy does it, just give me a call. <laughs> so I'm, I'm nice pretty proud of that. I'm, I'm Air Force all the guys. way. That's it. Aim high. Yeah. So, awesome. Well, Jason, thanks, thanks, guys. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you guys being on here and, and coming on and sharing sharing your story. We, we appreciate the opportunity to do so. And I do want to plug this, too. I think I haven't had anybody break this for me yet, but Amelia Island, Florida, is now the home of more ocean rowers per capita than any city <laughs> yeah. in oh, the yeah. United States. Really? Absolutely. I think at four, <laughs> four, four guys off in the same zip code. So unconfirmed, <laughs> unconfirmed, but no one's contested it yet. I can tell you, uh, Thunder Bay, Ontario has quite a bit per capita as well uh, in the United States. So we're a very small island. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's all so, island people. Wait. You get a bunch of weird boat people live on islands. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just uh, add that I'm not going to do my usual out, outro, Ryan. I just I just loved having this conversation you guys on. It's just such an interesting, different aspect of rowing. It's it's got you got the motion, but it's so different from anything I've experienced. But anyway, um, we will update the show notes if you want to include anything else about these. Uh, charities and foundations that you support just let me know and i'll i'll get it up there well thank you so much for yeah thank you guys and suzanne and charlotte thank thank you and uh happy national or international women's day suzanne it's an honor to meet you it's absolutely honor thank you guys appreciate it look forward to seeing you jason